This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. So the second coming, that's the title I want to pray. Please won't you just bow your heads as we pray together. Father, I pray tonight that your heart would flow through my mouth, that each and every person would be encouraged, Lord Jesus, as we reflect upon your soon return. Lord, this is not a horror story. This is a love story. And so we thank you tonight that as we focus on the scriptures that promise the church victory, even in the darkest times, that we'll be encouraged, that all fear will leave, Lord, and in fact, we'll start eagerly awaiting your return. And all those who agreed said, amen. Praise the Lord. So tonight, the title of my message is that it is a love story. The second coming of Jesus is not a horror story. And I say that simply because I've met so many even mature Christians that when it comes to the subject of eschatology or the last days or the return of Jesus, many of them become afraid because of what they've read in the Gospels. Now, there are some serious cautions that are thrown out to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and even the Apostle Paul. But as the church of Jesus, I want you to know we're going to be okay. You hold in your hand a book that has the solution to the problem and even tells you exactly what's going to happen. If you dare to ever study the book of Ezekiel, you will discover that what is happening in the world today was prophesied over 3,000 years ago. You see, the Lord is not only in your yesterdays and in your todays, He's also in your tomorrow. Can you bump your neighbor and say, I'm going to be all right. Jesus is in my tomorrow. Okay, He's taking care of business there. So we hold this book in our hands that predicts the future. Approximately one-third of your Bible is actually prophecy. And most of that one-third is all about the last days. Interesting. For example, if you take a look at what's happening in Russia right now and its alliance with China, all of that is predicted in Scripture. You just need to know the names and the changes in the names how they would move and converge on the Middle East, which would explain right now their presence in Syria, you know, that's been on the news, and the Syrian conflict. There are Russian ships right now off the coast in Israel. Ezekiel names Russia. It's known as Rosh back then, which is the old name for Russia, and the king of the east would be China. And even Iran is mentioned as a key role player in the end times. So these modern cities that we know are very specifically pointed out and earmarked as role players in the Bible. And surely we should know that if it was prophesied 3,000 years ago, the solutions for the church have also been prophesied. And it should be tremendously encouraging to us. It should give us tremendous confidence in God's ability to rescue us regardless. So tonight... I'm going to be dealing essentially with one of the most foundational doctrines in Christian Family Church's statement of faith. And that is simply this, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Now, in John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm about to leave. So you can imagine that this might have caused a bit of anxiety for them. For the last three years of their life, Jesus had been their checkbook. He had been their physician. He had been everything to them. I mean, he had provided every single need they had. And now he's about to tell them, or he tells them, my time is running out. I've got to leave. I've got to take care of business. And so there's a lot of anxiety in the disciple camp. 
And Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 14 from verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If there's one thought I want to leave with you tonight as we deal with the second coming of Jesus is that. Do not let your spirit be troubled. This is what Jesus says. Now listen, if you're born again, what I'm going to be sharing with you tonight is great news. Your heart shouldn't be troubled. But if you're not saved and you don't know Christ, I wouldn't blame you if you became anxious for what is to come. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. I love the way Jesus puts this in his disciples. He doesn't even mention heaven as a place. He says, I'm going to daddy's house. Now, when my kids were very, very young, the fav their favorite holiday was always going to my dad's place in the Manzimtoti. My dad had taken time over the years. He'd put a jacuzzi in the house. It was nice and secure. He had a beautiful little garden at the back like Eden. And my kids, when I said we're going to Opar, for them, that just, it, it spoke to provision, peace, love. They couldn't wait to go on those holidays. And I think what Jesus is over here doing, he's also using that same sort of comparison, that, that, that anecdote of, listen, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to daddy's house. And the reason I've got to go is because I'm going to, I'm going to sort things out for you when you come. Amen? So I want you to see the language that Jesus uses over here throughout this. It's so relational. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, look at this, I will come back. That's what he says. I will come back and take you, look at this, to be with me. And this is something that stood out for me as I was preparing this message. He says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I want you to notice the heart of Jesus and what he's not saying here. He's saying, I miss you. I love you. I want to be with you. Now, you may ask, but Jesus is already with me. Remember, our spirits are saved and our minds, our souls are being renewed, but our body has not yet been redeemed. What Jesus is saying over here, what he's not saying is simply this. He's saying, listen, you don't have a resurrected body like me yet. I can't wait so that you can be with me, so that I can hold you. You see, the closest hug I can give Jesus is when I hug my wife or when I hug another believer. That's Christ in them. But can you imagine the day, Pastor Johnny mentioned it just a moment ago, when we are standing in glory and the epitome of love and forgiveness and power comes up to your resurrected body and holds you and hugs you and feeling that complete acceptance of Jesus. How many of you would love to hug the Lord? I'm talking about literally hugging Jesus. Well, if that's what you want, I'm telling you now, multiply that by a million times. And that's why Jesus uses this language of it. He says, I can't wait to just put my arms around you and tell you how proud I am of you. I want you to feel me. I want to feel you. Do you know what I'm saying, folks? And so this is the kind of sentiment that I believe Jesus speaks about. And even the Apostle Paul and Peter, when they speak about it, it is, it's, so, it's just so relational. He says, I'll come back. And I will take you to be with me. I miss you. I want you to be with me. I want to tell you that this second of coming of Jesus, it's, it's not a horror story. You'll hear me say it over and over again. It is a love story. 
Now, if you know the story about Jesus, you'll know that he became a man in Jesus. Christ became a man in Jesus. He lived for 33 years, lived a righteous life. He took on the form of a human being so that he could pay the price for our sin. He was crucified, and after three days, he rose again, demonstrating to the world, to the principalities and powers, that we were forgiven. The Bible tells us that when Christ was raised, we were raised already with him. After he was raised, he spent about 40 days giving final instructions to his disciples and preparing them for what they would need to do. His last recorded words in red in the Bible are actually found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Now, we're going to be going to Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, but I want to give you this bit of a preamble. So if you go to your red letter Bible, you'll see these are the last recorded words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And this is what he says. He says, you'll receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. He's giving them these last instructions. The Holy Ghost is coming. He's going to empower you, and you are going to change the world. Now we go to verse 9, and we'll speak more about, or should I say, Pastor Johnny will be speaking more about Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 next week. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, it goes on to say, after Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, that's a very strange question, because they almost answered in the very next statement. They say, hey, what are you guys doing looking up in the sky? The same Jesus you have, who has been taken from you into heaven, will Come back in the same way. At that juncture, if I was one of those disciples and they said, why are you looking up in the sky? I would have said, because I'm just waiting for him to come back. He's just left. I'm waiting for him to come back. Can you see the interaction between the angels and the disciples? Why are you guys looking up there? He's going to come back exactly the same way he went. I'd be saying, well, case in point. I'm not moving from you. Jesus is coming back. And I think the disciples of Jesus ever since that day have been like this. When is he coming Back Now, there are those that don't believe that Jesus is returning. Crefio. If you don't believe Jesus is coming back, that's okay. Not only are you denying Scripture, but you can wait forever. I know that Jesus is coming back. And when I conclude the message tonight, you will know too. But look what he says. He will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. Now, he went up on the Mount of Olives, and he's coming back on the Mount of Olives. We are living in days of revival. Now, you might say, but I don't see revival breaking out around me. I'm going to share some brief statistics with you before I get into the meat of this message. But most people, sorry, more people have been saved in the last 50 years than in the last 1,973 years. In the last 50 years, more people have been saved than in almost 2,000 years prior. Now, that alone should already indicate we are in revival. Granted, there is greater population growth, I understand that, but I was at a youth conference not so long ago, and one of the questions was asked, are we in revival? 
I doubted it. I even said, I don't think we are because I think the church needs to be revived. I'm standing here tonight to tell you I've been corrected by the stats and by the Holy Ghost because we are in revival. And it doesn't mean because I can't see it or you can't see it, it's not happening. I'm telling you now, the stage is set for the soon return of Jesus. Listen to this. 193 sovereign nations of the world, in 193 of them, the gospel is growing faster than the population in all of them but 17. 193 sovereign nations, the gospel is growing faster than the population in all 17. And USA is one of the 17 that actually are in stasis. Of the 17, there are five in decline and 12 that are in, in, in stasis. That means they're not, they're not growing. Christianity is not growing. It's just stagnant, and five are in a decline. But if you take a look at that and contrast it against the 193 sovereign nations, I think we're in revival. Can someone say amen? The world is in a massive revival if you take a look at the statistics. And funny enough, you know where most of the salvations are coming from? From Muslim nations. From Muslim nations. I'm telling you, the Lord is shaking things up. We may not see it right here, but the Lord is definitely doing it. 216 of 260 chapters in your Bible mentions either Jesus' return or the end times. 23 of 27 New Testament books speak about Jesus' return or the end times. So why would Christ weave so much of this prophetic utterance about Him returning and the church being raptured and all of these things, why would he weave this into Scripture? Well, I believe fundamentally it's because the Bible also tells us that just before Jesus returns, it's going to be the most dangerous times that we will ever live in. Nation will rise against nation, the Bible says. The Greek word for nation there is ethnos, which means ethnic groups. It doesn't mean literal geographical nations. It means there will be an ethnic uprising. There will be race, race wars. That's what the Bible tells us about. It's going to be a torrid time. In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us that the love of many will grow cold. But he also mentions that he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a bride. Now, I love the way Jesus teaches and speaks in pictures. It was a long time ago that I married my wife. How many years have we been married, babe? 30, how many? Don't get it wrong now. 31. I knew that. I was just checking to see if she knew. But it's been a long time. But I mean, but I mean, think about it. Think, what, think about the, the posture of a bride. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a bride. I'm doing two weddings in this month. Pastor Johnny's doing one also now. We're doing a lot of, a lot of people are getting married. Also two. We're taking two for the team, four for the team. So we're doing weddings. But you know, when you speak to brides, what are they doing? They're dieting. Everything is about the soon betrothal to their husband. It's all they talk about. They're shopping. They're they slimming. They, they, they're trying to get into their dresses. I mean, Jesus uses this picture. I love the way he speaks in pictures. And he says, listen, he's coming for a bride. The question I ask is, are we getting fit? Are we getting ready for the return of Jesus? Are we sitting on a couch eating a Krispy Kreme? 
I don't know many, I don't know many brides that are in that space when they're two weeks out of their wedding. I promise you everything is about it. And so Jesus uses this picture and we need to meditate on it and maybe elaborate on it a bit to see exactly what the Lord is trying to tell us. So a bride prepares for the wedding. No one just gets married accidentally. A bride doesn't just rock up there and everything is done, no matter how good her bridesmaid is, okay? Doesn't rock up there and gets it done. So we have a responsibility, and I'm going to get into that in a few moments. But folks, I want to tell you that the purpose of this very short series, this three-part series, is just simply this. We want to encourage you, and we want to comfort you at the return of Jesus. Again, this is a love story. It's not a horror story. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians verses four, chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. This is what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, and it's very important, and underline this in your Bibles. According to the Lord's word, Paul is not saying, I said this, I didn't hear it from someone. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and are left until the coming of the Lord, and I firmly believe that we are in the generation that will see the Lord's return. You know, Jesus speaks about labor pains. He speaks about giving birth. And I tell you, you speak to any woman that has had natural labor, she will tell you that the pain is only matched or outdone by the joy of receiving the baby, the baby that is born. In actual fact, the pain is never remembered. It's the joy of the birth that is remembered. And the Bible says that we'll know We'll know, as he says, we'll read further, it says, we who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So Jesus said he's coming back. Paul emphatically says he's coming back. How is he going to come back? With a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's not referring to the Methodists. Or the Presbyterians, <laughs> the dead in Christ will rise first. If you've lost a loved one and they love Jesus, let me tell you now, they're not dead. They're alive and they're with the Lord. After that, the Bible says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. I love this. To meet the Lord in the air. You're looking forward to that meeting? You're looking forward to that meeting? Now, this word caught up, actually has, um, it only has one English word, but it's got a different Greek meaning and a different Latin meaning. So the word caught up is harpazo in Greek, and it literally means to snatch. So what Paul says over here, he says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be snatched up together with them in the clouds. I want you to know how quickly it's going to happen. I believe the rapture can take place at any time. The rapture can take place any time as the Lord will. So why hasn't it happened? Well, fundamentally, I believe it's the love of God that is delaying the rapture until the full number of souls come in. I mean, can you imagine Jesus is poised and ready? If we take a look and see the birth pangs of everything that's happening in the world, I mean, it's become a, it's become a common statement now by most charismatic Christians. You just, when you get into trouble, you say, oh, Jesus, rapture. It's become, it's on the tip of people's tongues. When life gets difficult, oh, I just wish the rapture would come now. I mean, this afternoon, just before I preached this message, I said to Pastor Johnny, I wouldn't mind if the rapture came right now. 
before I even preach the message, you know. We say rapture. But rapture means to be, it means to be snatched away. Now, the Latin word, interestingly, is actually raptere, where we get the word rapture from. This is the Latin word for being caught up. So although the rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, and you can't call it a doctrine, it is alluded to, this catching up. So the entire doctrine of the rapture is based upon that word, caught up together. And it says here, to meet the Lord in the air. Look at this. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Tonight, I want to encourage you that Jesus is coming back soon. He's going to snatch us up. We are not going to have to be put through the hell and the fury and the fire and the torment that the rest of the world is going to be judged on. We are going to be snatched up just before that takes place. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, man. When God, when God, got, when God destroyed the earth with a flood in Noah's time, you know, God didn't send a few planks floating by Noah and his family to rescue them while they were half drowning, beaten up, busted, and disgusted without any food. The Lord said to Noah, listen, I'm going to be judging the world. He gave him a few instructions to build a boat. Noah obeyed, and that boat represents the salvation that we enjoy today. Noah was impervious to the rain, to the flooding. He was protected. I tell you what, folks, if God did that for Noah under the law or under the, the era of the patriarchs, I'm telling you now that God will do it for us under grace. Amen. He's going to keep us. He's going to save us. He's going to snatch us. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, he's snatching us. You see, God loves us. And I want to emphasize that again with all that happens in the end times, as terrifying as what it could be, I still want you to know that the Lord Jesus has got our backs. You know, the first two books in the Bible are so wonderful they tell us about humanity's beginning and God's relationship with his people. Then the middle of the Bible, sin comes in and everything gets lost and then Jesus dies. But in the last two chapters of Revelation, he shows up again. And that's the next scripture I'm going to be taking a look at. So go with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 4. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, a lot of people know that a new earth is coming, but not many people have noticed that a new heaven is coming as well. And I don't think it's preached about enough. I want you to know this corrupt world that we live in right now is not here forever. God is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. Look what it says, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now that I've got a problem with. Personally, I love the ocean, but whatever God's going to put in its place is going to be a whole lot better. I promise you, for many years as a young believer, I couldn't wait to get to heaven because I believe the Lord is going to give me a house on the ocean. Until I read this verse, there's going to be no sea. If you're a surfer, deal with it. Um, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now this speaks about us. Look what it says. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I want you to notice the language here again. Can you see how relational this is? The return of Jesus is a love story. He wants to come and fetch us back. 
He wants us to be with him. He wants us to be there, not only in spirit, but he wants us to be there with our resurrected bodies. Can you imagine sitting in the gardens of the new heaven and the new earth and having Jesus himself, the one who you've worshiped, the one who you've adored, the one who you've praised, the one who you've sacrificed for, the one who you've given to, the one who you attended church for, when you did that all by faith, all by faith, I don't think one of us over here has physically seen Jesus, but to be able to sit in a garden with him, I cannot imagine there is any greater reward than being able to sit across the table from your Savior and get up after a meal, and he just holds you, and he just hugs you. I tell you what, the second coming of Jesus is all about a love story and him being returned to you and you being returned to him. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, take a look at this, folks. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. Why? For the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to this new heaven and this new earth. I would have included, if I was the Lord, I would have included, and there'll be no Galilee's interchange. That would have got me, that would have got me, that would have got me really excited. I mean, there'll be no gullies interchange. So can you see that clearly the second coming is about a love story for us as believers, and it really is good news. Now you might be here today and say, Well, Pastor Andre, I know he loves me, but I'm just not sure that the Lord, the Lord likes me. We can all beat ourselves up at one point in time or another. But you know, without going into the entire teaching of the prodigal son. I'll just perhaps mention my two grandchildren. Um, I'll tell you what, the one little one is a firecracker, Abigail Grace. I'll tell you, she can leave more food than I give her on the floor. Where she finds it all, I don't know. You know, as a young child, they just, they don't have their faculties about them. I mean, they, they poo in the clothes you put on them. It's messy. They put their hands in places it shouldn't be. Their hands are always sticky. Have you noticed that with kids and grandkids? I mean, you wipe them off with a wet wipe. I mean, we go through tons of wet wipes. And five seconds later, it's <laughs> And you don't know where that hand is. This time, it's sticky. It's sticky, you know? So, so they can make such a huge mess. But gosh, do I love her. And you know, the Lord is exactly the same. And I'm here to tell you, those of you that are here tonight, maybe, and you're hearing about this, this coming of Jesus, and you don't know exactly where you stand. And maybe you think you're so far from the Lord that there's just no way back for you. Maybe you, you don't question his love for you, but you don't think he likes you. I promise you now, folks, let me tell you that God sees our mess, and he loves us nonetheless. He sees our mess and he loves us nonetheless. And to make right with Jesus, let me tell you, to become that bride that he wants takes one prayer. That's all it takes. We'll take a look at that a bit later. So you may ask me the question, Pastor Andre, so are we living in the last days? It is kind of a silly question. Why? Because we are living in the only days we've got. Are we living in the last days? We're living in the only days we've got. And if you think there's something, if you knew it was the last days and you would change a few things, then I would say go and change them anyway. 
Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, a large portion of Scripture, but so relative to the teaching tonight. Jesus is coming back again. It's a love story. He says this, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. So you can see people are asking the same thing. The early church was wondering, the disciples might have still been standing there even waiting for Jesus to come back, you know. They thought he's going to come back immediately. So Paul clarifies this, and he says, about times and dates, we do not need to write for you write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Can you see that? Now, most people only read that portion. They don't read any further because they think, well, if the, thief is, if the Lord is coming like a thief in the night, I won't have any clue when he's coming. But stick with me because we're going to read further. It says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. So let me say this. You may not know the day, but you definitely will know the season. I don't know when my, I didn't know when my daughters were going to be born. I didn't know the day, but I certainly could see, listen, <laughs> how many, how much weight? I, I won't mention it, but my wife put in a few kilos. She put in a few kilos in the teens. And when it got to like the ninth month, it was like, Lord Jesus, is it, it's going to happen any time now. Clive is dealing with that at the moment with Robin. Okay, she's right there. Roseanne has just had a baby. So you may not know the day, but you know you're in that last bit. And Pastor Johnny and Paul are going to get into that in greater detail when it comes to, when it comes to that season. And it says this, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. What do you mean I'm not in darkness? How will I know? Well, you're not in darkness because we as pastors are teaching you about what's going to happen and when Jesus is going to come back. Look what it says. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and the children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. I said that to get to this portion of the verse. Look at this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. So it's bad, and we're going to get into those things. We're going to mention the things that are going to take place in the last days. Pastor Theo's taught substantially on those subjects of what's going to happen. I want you to know that the Lord himself said he did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not going to go through the mess. We are going to be snatched up. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus? The Bible says he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Look at this again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So I want to leave you with three things. You're saying to me, Pastor Andre, so what must I do? Now that I know that I'm a bride and the Lord is coming for a bride and a bride prepares herself, what do I need to do for the soon return of Jesus in order to be snatched away with the rest of the church? Well, I think first and foremost, Peter tells us, that you need to be right with God. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. The Bible says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray.
who just come out of 21 days of prayer. I don't know about you, but that changed me. In many respects, it fixed me. In many respects, it got my priorities back in place. How many of you would say amen to that? Amen. So becoming more sober-minded, becoming more clear-minded and self-controlled is in preparation for the Lord's return. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. I want you to see that there is a responsibility on us, that there is an onus upon us to get ourselves ready and to be right with God. And if you're not right with God tonight, in a few moments' time, I'm going to give you an opportunity so you can be rapture ready. To be rapture ready is just one prayer away. And I pray this word ministers to you in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10. Listen to what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? The question is posed and the answer given. You ought to live holy and godly lives. So the first thing we want to do in order to get ourselves ready is we want to make sure we're right with God. The second thing we want to do is we want to make sure that we rely on godly relationships. A bride would never get ready without her bridesmaids. She'd never succeed without her bridesmaids. A bride cannot be adequately prepared to marry her husband without a whole bunch of bridesmaids. They're doing what they do best. And that speaks about community. It speaks about fellowship. I would encourage you, if you are not in a group at Christian Family Church, get into a group. Friends are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. When you get into a group here at Christian Family Church, you will change in community and relation with others. Pastor Johnny spoke about that today. But get yourself around some good, godly, growing friends. Every one of them are growing, just like you. Don't keep your friends in the world and write off your friends at church. Pursue and rely on godly relationships. Look what it says in 1 Peter 4, verses 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to spur one another on. I'm spurring you on. I'm telling you to get involved in groups. Get some good godly friends that you can rely on. I'm telling you now, Christians I know that don't grow are those who are not accountable. People who don't grow in their walk with God are because they're not accountable to anybody. When you become accountable to someone, like children with their parents, guess what? It may be forced growth, but it's necessary growth. When you distance yourself and isolate yourself and become an island, I can promise you now, your growth will be stunted and you will stay the same. Accountability, 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 unless you find in the hundreds of different types of groups we have here at Christian Family Church. And let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Don't give up on it. Carry on through it, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And look at this. And all the more as you see the day 
approaching. The closer we see the return of Jesus is coming, the closer the bride begins to, almost begins to get pregnant and deliver her child. The Bible says, here, it says, all the more as you'd see the day approaching, encourage people to get together in groups, to depend upon one another. And then finally, the third thing we should do is we need, we need to make a difference. <laughs> Let's make a difference before Jesus returns. We get to speed some translations. We get to speed the coming of Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Pastor Johnny spoke about that today. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Interesting to know that the Lord would trust us. He would trust us to administer God's grace to people. We do it through service. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Serving others, making a difference. And so I pose this question today. You may be making a difference in the secular world. I want to ask you, what difference are you making for the kingdom? You see, if Jesus had to come back right now, Bam. and the rapture took place and you stood before him, would you be completely satisfied not only that you're working, but that you're working in relationship with him? When you serve, is Jesus right next to you? Before you serve, you're saying, come on, Lord, let's tackle this thing together. Before you feed the poor, before you clothe the, the, the cold, before you give them a blanket, is that relationship, is, are you doing that in conjunction with Christ. In Matthew 24, 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You see, folks, we determine when that end is and how busy we are. And I'm gonna close my message today with John chapter 20 and verse seven. And the napkin in the King James Version, it says, that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together, neatly folded in a place by itself. John draws our attention to the fact that when Jesus was resurrected, and forgive me if I, if I storytell just a little bit, I see the Bible in technicolor, because the other gospel doesn't record this, but John records this specifically. I can almost imagine that Jesus was resurrected and, the, and the, the burial clothes were over there and whatever was covering him was there. And he almost stepped out of the tomb and he thought, hang on, let me just, and he walks back and he takes the cloth that was covering his head and he folds it up neatly. You see, this sends a very strong message, especially if you are Jewish and you understand Jewish custom. Because in the Jewish custom, if you eat at the table, and the first thing we get what's going to happen when the Lord calls us back, by the way, is we're going for dinner with Christ. We, it's a marriage supper of the Lamb, okay? So if you're Jewish, this speaks volumes to you. Because if you have a meal in Jewish culture and you are coming back, you go into the bathroom and you're coming back, you fold your napkin up and then you go and you come back. If you're finished, you take your napkin and you throw it down on your dishes and then they know to clear the table. But Jesus went back and he folded the napkin because he wanted to know that whoever walked into that tomb realized that guess what? He hasn't left. He's coming back again. Jesus is coming back again. The folded napkin represents my Savior, your Savior, my Lord and your Lord is coming back to rescue us and to save us. This is not a horror story. 
this is a love story. I want to encourage you, don't miss the next two Sunday evenings where we wrap this thing up. We're going to give you a lot more information, but you're going to be thoroughly, thoroughly encouraged. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Please, no one looking around at this point in time. You may be here tonight and you've heard about Jesus coming back. You've heard about what it is that you need to do, that you need a right relationship, that you need to be with Christians, and you're not in any of those places. As I read the scriptures tonight, your heart burnt within you, and you realize that your life is not right with Christ. I want to pray a simple prayer with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to go to where you are. I just simply want to pray this prayer with you tonight. If that's you and you say, Pastor Andre, my life is not right with God. If Jesus came back right now, I don't know that I would be going with him. But I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand in the air and say, please pray with me, Pastor Andre. I'm ready to give my life to Christ. At the count of three, one, two, three. Right now, raise your hand in the air. God bless you. I see those hands. Please keep your hand raised. Thank you, ma'am. I see those hands over there. Keep your hand raised in the air. Don't put it up and, don't put it up and take it down. Just keep your hand right there. This is, this is between you and the Lord. I'm going to ask folks, please, just to come and lay their hands on your shoulders for those people that have raised their hands. You can put your hand down once people are simply coming to agree with you in prayer. That's all. Is there anybody else tonight whose heart really is beating in their chest and you know that you are not right with God? You need to make right with the Lord tonight. I'll count one more time and then I'll pray. One, two, three. Right now, raise your hand in the air and say, Pastor Andre, please pray with me. Thank you. Okay, now for the benefit of those of you that have your hands raised, I'm going to ask everyone, please, to pray this prayer after me. Everyone, let's say this prayer together. Let's get rapture ready together as a church, shall we? Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Lord, I know that I am a sinner, and I have fallen short of your standard. But I also know, Lord Jesus, that you came to earth, that you died on the cross of Calvary. You paid the price and the penalty for my sin. By your power, I am forgiven for my sin and set free from all my guilt. Forgive me tonight. I believe that you died for me and after three days, you rose again. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life. I promise to love you and to serve you until the day I meet you face to face. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.